0: Good morning. It's great to see everybody. Like Ethan said, my name's Elliot. I'm the connection pastor here. And today we are continuing this series um, that we've been looking at some of the common hashtags that you might see floating around social media or other places. Now, hashtags have become a pretty effective tool at communicating ideas. They're labels used in social media posts to kind of capture or summarize the main idea of those posts. And because people are posting about, about everything that you can imagine, that means that there are hashtags or these created labels that present all different kinds of ideas. So in this series, we just kind of walk through some of the common ones that we might encounter. We've really just been asking the question of these hashtags, "Is is this idea popular? Is this an idea that maybe it's trending in our culture and a lot of people look at it and they say, oh yeah, that's right and good? Or is this an idea that this is based on how God really wants us to live? Or is it a mix of both? Is this based on kind of a trending idea or is this something that's based on truth and what God has said. So today, the hashtag we're going to look at is hashtag, that's just how I am. Now, Homer Simpson of The Simpsons, he captures this idea pretty well, and he says it in a pretty humorous way. He says, I never apologize. I'm sorry. That's just the way I am. Now, the episode where Homer says this, he gets in an argument with his garbage men And during the course of the argument, they decide that they're not going to collect the trash at his house anymore. And so you can imagine this kind of caused a bit of problems in the family. And so his daughter, Lisa, goes to him and she's appealing to him, Dad, come on, we've got to make this right. There's something you can do. And he says, I'm not going to change. There's no way it's going to happen because that's just the way that I am. And there's many ways that we could communicate this idea. There's a lot of different ways that this idea is said. But most often, we use it to justify or excuse those rough edges that we know that we have, those parts of our attitude or behavior or actions that we kind of routinely do that we know that they're not really good, and we know that they probably should change, but hey, that's just how I am, so you're just going to have to live with it and deal with it because I'm not going to change. That's kind of our attitude about these things, kind of like Homer, I never apologize. That's just the way I am. Ephesians 4.24 actually has some really interesting stuff to say about this, as well as the rest of the Bible on this topic. This is what it says in Ephesians 4. It says, You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, this passage that I just read, this is written to a group of Christians, people who had decided to follow Jesus, they had entered into a relationship, these are people who are saved. And what it says to them, it says you are taught. And the idea there is right alongside you being, you, you coming to understand who Jesus is and how he paid the debt of your sins and you can enter into a relationship, right alongside that, you, it was explained to you that as you walk with Jesus, you actually have a part to play in bringing about change in your life. So this is this is kind of fundamental to being a Christian. This is a very important reality. It says with regard to your former way of life. Your former way of life is the well that's just how I am part of you. The attitudes and actions that are fueled by these desires that we have. These kind of natural approaches to life. We've always done it this way. The well that's just how I am. And what it says is it says that that's to be put off. And the reason is is because it's corrupted. And the idea there is it's corrupted. That means that if you allow this to lead, it's going to take you in a direction and bring about consequences in your life that you don't want to experience. You'd rather avoid those. There's something else that you would rather experience. So it says, says that we're supposed to put something else on. It says that we're to be made new in the attitude of our minds and put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, what's that talking about? What that's talking about is the reality that when when a person enters into a relationship with Jesus, when they receive the salvation that he offers, he starts a work of transformation from the inside out. He turns them into a completely new person. And in that process of transformation, the individual actually has a role to play. And that's identified in this passage by the words, put off and put on. You and I, when we become Christians, we don't just kind of passively sit back and say, okay, God, make me new, we actually have a part in the process to play. The, this passage, it's written in uh, the Greek language, and these words, put off and put on, they're actually used to describe the process of changing clothes. That's how they're most often used. And when we kind of go through life, I mean, we get dirty, we start to smell, and so we have a routine practice of changing clothes. I mean, I, I doubt very many of you came in what you slept in last night. I doubt very many of you are wearing the exact same thing that you wore yesterday and the day before. I mean, we just kind of, for our benefit and the benefit of others, we have this process of daily or sometimes multiple times a day changing what we're wearing. What this passage is pointing out is, hey, there's parts of your life that just like you need to routinely change your clothes, there's parts of your life that, well, that's just how I am. Those parts of your life, you need to engage in a regular practice of putting that off, taking it off, and then putting something else on in their place. It's a daily, it's a a routine thing that you do. And how long are you going to engage in the process of changing clothes? As long as you're alive. I mean, as long as you're alive, you wear clothes long enough, and they're going to start to stink, so you're going to have to put some new clothes on. So how long are we to engage in this process of participating with God and bringing about change in our lives? As long as we're alive, we're engaging in this process. So the question is, what about us specifically needs to change? So, what are those things? What are the, the well? That's just how I am. What are those things in our life that need to change? Well, thankfully, the Bible helps us identify these, and it doesn't just point to okay, those are the specific actions that need to change. The Bible goes beyond that, and it identifies the desires behind why we do what we do. And there's there's several different ways that the Bible identifies this, but there's in the in the Old Testament portion of the Bible, kind of the first two thirds of the Bible. There's five Hebrew words used that all translate into the English word fool. So when we read our Bible, we just see the word fool keep popping up. But really, when it was written, it, it's describing five different kind of underlying desires, and we all have one or a mix of these, that motivate our action and motivate us to do certain things. They kind of are the fuel behind the, well, that's just the way I am, part of our lives. And the reason that the word fool is used is not because it's describing somebody with low IQ who would score poorly on a standardized test. The reason the word fool is used is that's the best description of what it means to put anything other than God at the center of life. To spend our time and our energy and our effort and live for and focus on and aim at anything other than God is a foolish approach to life. So that's why all of these ideas are translated with the word fool. So we're going to look at these five this morning, and as we go through these, my desire is I hope that you start to see for yourself which one of these you might be. Not to beat you up, not to be like, oh man, that's the way you are, you'll never change, but just like Ephesians says, hey, you've engaged in a process where God can bring real lasting change in your life. So when you understand kind of the root desire behind what you're aiming for and why you're doing that, why you are the way that you are, now you can go to work with God's help and bringing change. I know for me, when this was first presented to me, I still remember some of the ideas that were presented and they're just regularly opportunities for me in my life where I'm going through a situation and one of those things will pop in my head and be like, oh, Elliot, this is what you're doing. Okay, that's an opportunity for you to put something off and put something else on in its place. So let's walk through these. I, I do wanna encourage you, as you try to identify your top one or maybe top two, resist the temptation to identify what someone else's might be. Okay? I mean, they might be sitting next to you, but resi- focus on yourself, not on what other people's foolish approaches to life would be. Focus on yourself. So, the first one we're going to look at is the easy way. You notice I have a lot of fill in the blanks. The lady who does our handout each week was joking with me that this might be a record for me for fill in the blanks. So, those of you who like to write, you've got a lot of writing to do today. So, the first one is the easy way. The Hebrew word is the word kasil, it translates into English as the word fool and it means swollen with false hope. Now, what this person wants most is a comfortable life. That's really the desire behind what they do, is the desire they have for comfort. Now, there's nothing wrong with comfort. I mean, this last week, my family and I, we were on a trip and we were in the mountains of New Mexico, and it was a beautiful place we were staying, but the beds that were in this lodge we were at really left a lot to be desired. I mean, they were pretty uncomfortable beds. And my son, Cohen, who, he's not even two years old, he was in this little porta crib kind of pack-and-play thing, And it it really just kind of had a piece of cardboard for him to sleep on. So he had a pillow in there as well. And the first night, he kind of slept on the mattress thing, and then he realized, this is terrible. So then from then on, for the rest of the trip, he would crawl on top of the pillow and kind of hug it and straddle it to make sure he wouldn't fall off in the middle of the night. I mean, The kid's not even two years old. And he already had come to the conclusion that that is really uncomfortable, and I need more padding. And so he would climb on top of this pillow to sleep through the night. I mean, there's nothing wrong with comfort. Comfort is a good thing. But for the easy way individual, what they do is they make comfort their main aim in life rather than aiming at God. That's what they live for. It's kind of a, it's a main drive behind their decisions. They're going for comfort. They organize their life around what's going to be easiest, what's going to bring the most comfort into my life. And really what the easy way individual is looking for is they're looking for a product. The reason they're looking for a product is because if you want to be comfortable, products afford us the opportunity to be comfortable. I mean, if your home is comfortable, it's because you've filled it up with products. You've bought a comfortable bed, and you have comfortable chairs, and you have a comfortable couch, and you've purchased entertainment equipment to help you relax. You've got all these different products in your home that are helping it be comfortable. Now, how did you get all those products? Well, you went and you purchased them. Well, where'd you get the money to purchase those products? Well, you have a job, and you worked, and you earned that money. That's how life works. You, you put in the work, and then kind of the result of the work, the outcome, the reward of it, is there's comfort. You can go and use your money to buy things. But what the easy way individual wants to do is they want to they wanna bypass the work. They don't want to put in the work to get the reward. They want to go around it, and they want to go straight to the finished product, straight to the comfort. So for this individual, what you'll see happen in their life sometimes is they'll get caught up in, you know, schemes that promise quick and easy money. You know, get-rich-quick schemes, those infomercials we see where these five easy steps and tomorrow afternoon you'll be a millionaire. That stuff is very appealing to this individual because it's, it's promising a shortcut, a way around the work, so that they can arrive at the finished product. So what it says in Proverbs 17, 24 Says this, it says a discerning person keeps wisdom in view. The idea of a discerning person, that's somebody who they know that there's more going on than just what meets the eye, and they keep wisdom in view. So they know that there's more going on than what they can see. There's more at play, and then they're keeping wisdom in view, and they know that according to God, a wise person builds a life decision by decision based on what God said to do. So that's what the discerning person does. But the fool, the Casile, the easy way, the fool, the one swollen with false Hope their eyes keep wandering. Now, why do their eyes keep wandering? Why, instead of keeping wisdom in view and building a life decision by decision, one step at a time, why do they keep wandering? Well, it's because they're looking for this finished product. They're hoping that it'll just show up and it'll appear before them. And so, something that they they keep kind of saying, or an idea they keep having, is if I could only get that thing, then I would be satisfied. I would be comfortable. You fill in the blank. If I could only get the right person, well, then I'd be happy and I would be satisfied. If I could only get the right job, well, then then my life would be complete and everything would come in order. If I, if the situations and the circumstances would only line up to be in my favor, they're always looking for something. They want something to come into their life, some kind of product, some finished product that will give them what they want. And because of that, because they're hoping something just comes along and they're kind of wandering What that means about this easy way individual is that they don't want to build. They don't want to do what it takes to build the kind of life that they really want. They want to to discover it. And so they think to themselves, I don't need to build a life, I need to find a life. So when they date, when this individual enters into a dating relationship, they're not asking the question, how can I become the right person? They're focused on, how can I find the right person that will make me happy? And when this individual thinks about marriage, they've got these great expectations of everything that marriage will do for them and how marriage will benefit their life, but they're not willing to put in the work to build the kind of marriage that they actually want. They don't view marriage as entering into a partnership with another person to carry out a a mission. Marriage is you're getting a product that's going to make your life easier and more comfortable. That's what the easy way individual is doing. They want to find this... Finished product. So they keep wandering, like this says. Now, how far will this false hope, this, this hope that the finished product will finally show up and I won't have to build a life, how far will they go in searching for this? It says to the end of the earth. The idea is they will spend their entire lives, instead of building life based on God's wisdom and experiencing the rewards of that, they will spend their entire lives searching for this finished product that will make them happy. Because in their mind, That's easier than building. The next individual is the my way. The Hebrew word for the my way is the word avil. It means to strongly oppose or pervert justice. What this person wants most is control. They think that if everyone would just get on board with their ideas and opinions, if everyone would just cooperate with them, then life would be better for everyone. That's what this individual thinks. For the my way individual, when they think of their responsibilities... Their responsibilities are not limited to them and their actions, but they're actually responsible for other people as well. They think that they're not just responsible for themselves, but the boundaries include you and me, and so they're going to do what it takes to get us to think the way that they think we should and get us to behave the way that we think they should. Their their kind of their realm of responsibility includes other people and if they can bring other people into conformity, another word of saying that if they can get other people to if they can control the actions of others, then in their mind they'll be happy because that's the way that they want it to be. So the my way individual, the Aveal, what they're looking for in life is they're looking for control. Not physical control, think of it more of as relational leverage. They want the ability to be kind of be able to pull the strings in other people's lives to get them to, to act and behave a certain way. That's so what it says in Proverbs 12, 15. It says this about this individual. It says, The way of fools, of veals, the my way, seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. What this is saying is the my way person, their opinion It's not just one option among many. I mean, how they think about a situation. It's not just, well, this is my idea, but I know that there's a lot of different ideas. No, their opinion about what should be done is actually an ought to. It's not, hey, we could go to this place for lunch. It's a, if we don't go to this place for lunch, I'm going to be upset because that's the right thing to do in this situation. That's how they view it. Their, Their way is the right way. They view their opinion as law. And because they view their opinion as law, how do you think they respond when people don't go along with what they say to do? Well, they get upset. Not because somebody broke an actual law, but because their opinion's law. If you don't agree with my opinion, well, you broke the law. And so they get upset, and maybe they punish in some way. Maybe they get, they get visibly upset, and they get angry with an individual. Maybe they kind of withdraw from the other person and they become passive-aggressive, but they they use being upset to try to bring the other person back into conformity and behave the way that they want them to behave. Now for me, this is one of my primary ones, and I hate identifying that, but it's true. And I realized that this was one of my primary ones shortly after I got married, because marriage kind of has that way of squeezing out of you what you would rather keep hidden. And so what happened was, is my wife was in the kitchen. Allie was in the kitchen. She was cutting an apple, and I was walking through, and I saw her cutting this apple, and I asked the question, what are you doing? Now, I didn't ask it in like a curious, like, oh, that's interesting. You're cutting an apple. Or are you making a snack? Do you mind making me a snack? It wasn't curious. It was more judgmental. What are you doing? That's not how you cut an apple. And that's how I said it, because I had never seen somebody cut an apple the way that she was cutting an apple. I mean, that's completely different than the way I was taught and the way that I cut apples. So what's going through my head is not, wow, that's really interesting. I didn't know there were so many different ways to cut an apple. What's going through my head is, she's cutting the apple wrong, and she needs me to intervene and show her how to cut this apple (laughs) in this situation. Now, what's funny about this is actually this last week, I was thinking about saying this, and so I looked up online. I just Googled, you know, how to cut an apple. And what Because part of me, honestly, was, I, I'm curious if I'm right. And um, what ended up coming up was the, the first video that came up is a video that Whole Foods Market uh, put out. And actually, how they say to slice an apple is how my wife slices apples. Wow. Now, as a My Way individual, do you think I just said, oh, interesting, I'm going to change the way that I cut apples from now on? Whole Foods has no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> Who are they to say how to cut an apple? Now, is that just how I am? That's just how I am, and unfortunately, my, life, my wife's just going to have to deal with it because that's just the way I am. Well, I might have this underlying desire to have my way and to think that I'm right in a situation, but according to God, that's a part of me that needs to change. That's part of me that I'm not just supposed to excuse as, well, that's just how I am, so everybody's just going to have to live with it. No, according to God is, hey, Elliot, there's a desire inside of you that's aiming at something that is very foolish, and you need to, with my help, go to work on that. And I can bring lasting change in your life, but you're gonna have to engage in this process. So that desire you have to have your way and to think that you're right, you gotta put that off, and there's a new way of life that you're gonna have to put on in its place. That's what I have to do, because I'm on my way. The next one is the fun way. This is the life of the party. This is the class clown, the fun way. Hebrew is the word sakal. It means to swell with impulse. What this person desires most is a feeling. That's really their desire behind those areas of life where they just say, well, that's just how I am. The desire behind that is a desire to feel good. They think that if they could just feel good enough often enough, then they'd be satisfied. So what this individual is looking for is they're looking to feel good. So they're on a never-ending search for the next feel-good experience. A verse on this is Ecclesiastes 10.3. It says this, it says, Even as fools, so calls, walk along the road, they lack sense, and they show everyone how stupid they are. Don't you just love it when the Bible gets straight to the point? I love it when the Bible does that. It says you don't even need to talk to this person. Just observe them walking along. I mean, just like when an animal walks down the road, it hears something over here, so it goes and it checks it out. And then it sees something over here, and so it goes, checks it out. And then it gets a whiff of something in the air, and it starts smelling the air, and then it follows that. I mean, it's just zigzagging down the road. That's really the pattern of this person's life, is they're just kind of, they just kind of are bouncing around from one feeling, from one sensation, from one experience to the next, just kind of zigzagging their way through life. You can just watch them as you, as you see the pattern of their life. It says that they lack sense. The idea of lacking sense is that they, they just don't think. I mean, it's not that they're lacking one of the five senses, they're, they're just not thinking about what's going on. Says that they're, It uses the word stupid, and that's not a put-down in this verse. That's not making fun of them. It's just pointing out that they don't think through the consequences of their actions. Because they're kind of just running on instinct, they're not thinking about, well, what am I sacrificing? What am I giving up? What, what could this cost me if I take action and I move in this direction? I mean, like, a, like an animal, they're just following their instinct. And for an animal, an instinct is a very good thing. It's a step-by-step kind of roadmap to help them navigate and stay alive. It's put into their physiology by God. So if an animal needs to feed, well, then their instinct's going to make sure that it happens. And if an animal needs to procreate, then again, instinct kicks in and it'll see that it happens. And that's really how this fun way individual lives, is they're guided by their impulse and their emotions. And wherever their kind of their impulse, their, their gut, their instinct tells them to go, well, they just head off in that direction. Wherever their impulse and emotions take them is where they go. Now, for you and me, we are part of the animal kingdom, and we have similar feelings and impulses. But a major difference is we're made in God's image. And because we're made in God's image, our feelings about life are not simply instinctual. You and I have the ability to analyze what we're feeling and what we're experiencing in a situation. We have the ability to ask why. We can step back, and instead of just Well, my body says do this, so I'm going to do it. We have the ability to step back and say, okay, well, what's going on? What are the decisions that cause this? What am I not aware of? What am I not thinking about in this situation? We can can analyze and we can ask why. We've been created for more than just survival and procreation. We have the ability to rationally use our minds to make our way forward in life, to set aside our cravings and desires and live for something far greater than ourselves. It's that part of us that allows us to be involved in and to participate in what God's doing in the world. But for the fun way individual, they just wanna feel good. So instead of doing that and asking those questions and using their mind, engaging their mind to participate in what God's doing, man, if if there's an opportunity to feel good, they're they're gonna move, they're gonna head in that direction. What you see is this person often will end up in addictive patterns because whatever you do for fun, It never feels good long enough, and so they have to do it again, repeat it with greater intensity. So that gets them stuck in addictive patterns in their life. And a real challenge for this fun way individual, this person who's just kind of swelled with impulse to feel good, a challenge is to slow down and stop and actually think through, what are the consequences? If I take action, if I actually do this, what will that cost me? how will it impact me? How will it impact the people around me? How will it impact my family? I mean, I'm sure all of us can think of examples of people that they've thrown away their entire life for a few minutes of pleasure. That's what the fun way individual's looking for. They want to feel good, so they're guided by their impulse and their emotions. Again, that's an area of life where a person might say, well, that's just the way that I am, but God looks at it and he says, well, that, that might be the underlying desire behind your behavior, but there's a new way for you. And change can happen in your life if you engage in the process. The next individual is the glory way. The Hebrew word for the glory way is the word halal. It means to shine. You might recognize this word halal because it's the root word for the word we use in a lot of our songs, hallelujah. It's a word that means praise be to God. But the glory way individual, what they'll do is they'll shift the focus from praise be to God to praise be to me. They want the glory. They want the attention. They want the approval of other people. It's the, kind of the underlying desire behind what they do in their life. They're looking for applause. That's what the glory way is looking for, is they're looking for applause. If they could just get enough people clapping for them in their mind and their thinking, then they would be satisfied, then they would be happy with life. So what they aim for, because they're looking for applause, they want a position where they can be seen. So they're looking for, okay, where can I be where a lot of people can see me? Because if I'm gonna get applause, I need to be somewhere visible. So whether that's a leadership position or maybe somewhere where there's power, somewhere where there's some glory associated with it, they're gonna aim for that and desire those things so that people can see them, so that people can applaud for them. And to get to the top, what they're gonna do to get that position is they're willing to compete their way all the way to the top. That's how they're gonna get to the top. They're gonna use competition. And it might take different forms. I mean, it might be in a workplace setting, maybe this individual seems like a really hard worker and they're really diligent, but instead of the underlying motivation being, I'm ultimately serving God and I want to do my work with excellence for Him, their motivation is, I want to work really hard so that I can prove that I'm better than this other person. Or I want to work really hard to make some statement about myself. Kind of the underlying motive is behind hard work sometimes might be, they really just want glory. There's nothing wrong with hard work, but again, it's, this is, we're talking about what's the desire that's moving this person to move in this direction. So they might compete by trying to outwork other people. They might compete by trying to kind of pull people down and elevate themselves by, maybe they brag about the amount of money that they have, or maybe they brag about what they own or what they've accomplished in their life, or maybe they'll name drop and they'll list off all the famous people that they know and they have in their you know, in their phone that they can just call at any moment. You know, they'll kind of use bragging to elevate themselves. Another thing that they'll do is they'll use humor sometimes, and if they can get people laughing at others, they'll use humor and mockery to kind of pull someone else down, and then they'll use that laughter to kind of bolster themselves. That's oftentimes how this glory way individual relate to authority. When they have authority over them, they'll mock the authority behind the authority's back, trying to pull them down, and then they'll use that laughter to kind of boost themselves up and elevate themselves. They're using competition. That's what it says in Psalm 75 about this individual. It says, to the arrogant, the halal, the glory way individual, I say, boast no more. And to the wicked, do not lift up your horns. Do not lift up your horns against heaven. Do not speak so defiantly. Now that's describing right there, that's describing fighting language. What this is describing is just like a bull is going to use its horns to fight What this individual is going to do is they're going to use their horns just like a bull, and they're going to fight their way to the top. It says they lift up their horns against heaven. I mean, that's insane. If you're going to get in a bullfight, you don't want to get in a bullfight with God. But this person wants glory, and they want position, and and they want other people to applaud for them. So they're willing to go that far. But what they're not aware of is what it says next in this passage. It says this. It says, For no one from the east or the west or from the desert can exalt themselves. It is God who judges. He brings one down. He exalts another. What that's saying is there are people that we look at and we see their lives and they've got a lot of people clapping for them and cheering for them and approving them and saying, wow, how successful are they? But in reality, there's no foundation underneath them. So what this is saying is it's saying they're going to fall. But then there's other people who, when God's mighty hand elevates a person, now their foundation is God's strength that person is secure. They're stabilized. They're not going to fall. That's what this is saying is, hey, we, we might see a lot of people who, wow, they look so successful, but in reality, they're not standing anything. It's only a matter of time. But Then there are other people that we look at, and we, we might not be so impressed, but hey, they've got God's mighty hand under them. That means that they're stable, and they're secure. See, the way forward in life is by taking God seriously and submitting to him instead of trying to take the glory. That's the way forward, living life the way God instructs instead of just going after what I want, but the halal, the glory way, they want the glory, they want the applause, so if they see an opportunity to get the glory, they're going to act, and they're going to take it, that's the kind of the foolish desire that's driving them, that kind of makes them say, well, that's just the way I am, I want people to like me, you know, I love competition, even at the expense of others, that's something that they might use as an excuse, but again, that's something God says, that's something about you that needs to be put off, Something else is to be put on in its place. The next individual, the fifth one, final one, is the harmful way. Hebrew word is the word nabal. It means to empty. What this person will do is they'll manage their emptiness by causing it in others. They cause pain. They actually get joy out of causing pain in the life of other people. For them, there's a a sick sense of personal gain when someone else loses because of what they've done. When there's a personal loss in the life of others, in some way, they benefit from that. They gain from that. What this individual is looking for is they're looking for power over people. They're looking for power. That makes this a very dangerous person that you want to watch out for. Psalm 14.1 talks about this individual. It says this. It says, The fool, the Nabal, the harmful way individual, says in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good what this is describing is it's describing somebody who is a practical atheist. They might not say it with their words. They might not say God doesn't exist. But deep down in their heart, they really believe that God will not hold them accountable for what they do. That's what they believe. They believe, hey, there's no God, so there's no higher power, so I can do whatever I want and get away with it. He's never going to hold me accountable for my actions and for what I do with my life. And because they approach life like this, over time what happens is their conscience, kind of that internal guidance system that we all have that alerts us if something's right or wrong or convicts us or maybe brings remorse, that internal conscience they have, it becomes seared. It grows hard and calloused. And so they get to a point where they, they do not feel remorse. They don't have a sense of guilt or conviction over the things that they've done in their life. They've become hard and callous to that. And in the wake of their life, as they move forward, as you watch these individuals, there's a wake behind them that's just full of destruction and pain in the lives of other people as they move forward. These individuals, you know, sometimes I'll I'll be scrolling through my news feed on my phone, and I'll come across a story that's just a horrendous story. I mean, a a story about a, a parent killing a young child or these things that you're just like, they're so bizarre that you're like, I can't even get my mind around how that could happen. But a lot of times, that's the individual that's found in these stories, this this Nabal, this harmful way fool. They've just become callous to what's right and wrong, and they really believe that there's no God to hold them accountable, so they do whatever they want. They're actually one of the reasons that we have police and a military, to protect the public from this individual. It's a very dangerous individual. But let me say this about this Nabal and really all the other types of fools that they are with all these these kind of underlying desires that the Bible identifies, with each one of these, when we stop excusing them as, well, that's just the way I am, you know, what, whichever one you are, when we stop just kind of making an excuse of, you know, well, I'm just, that's just the rough edges that I have and other people have to deal with it. When we stop that and we actually say, okay, God, I'm going to engage with you in a process of change. And with your help, I'm going to put off this desire that I have, these Behaviors and these attitudes that are driven by that desire. And in its place, I'm going to put something else on. When we decide to engage in that, whichever one of these we are, God promises to bring real and lasting change. He helps us in that process. But you and I have to decide that we're going to engage with Him, that we're going to join Him in bringing about this change. We have a part to play. It's not a passive, I'm just going to sit back and become a perfect person. It's a, okay, I'm going to join with God, and instead of just saying, oh, that's just the way I am, I'm going to say, okay, I need to go to work on this. So for you, let's ask the question, which of these five is kind of your normal approach to life? Which of these five is maybe the desire behind the area of your life where you say, well, that's just how I am? Are you an easy way? Is comfort what you want most? Are you looking for a product in life instead of a building based on God's wisdom? Are you on my way? Is control of the thing that you keep angling for in life and relationships? You're trying to show everybody else how to cut the apple. Are you a fun way? Are you living to feel good or emotions and instincts kind of guiding you and you're not thinking about the consequences? Are you a glory way? Is approval of others the most important thing to you? Are you using competition to pull others down and make your way to the top so you can get the applause? Are you a harmful way? Are you kind of covering up your pain and the emptiness you have on the inside by causing it in other people's lives? Well, again, let me read the passage we read at the beginning. Ephesians 4, it says this. It says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. All these desires are deceitful. Somebody doesn't wake up and say, I'm going to be an easy way because I'm going to you know, end my life in a ditch and miss out on my dreams. No, they choose that path because they think this is really what's going to make me happy and satisfy me. It's a deceitful desire. It promises one thing, and it leads to a very different one. They don't wake up and say, you know what, I'm going to be a glory way so that I can burn all my bridges and end life with very few friends because I've just been competing the whole time trying to get all the glory and fighting against God. They don't wake up and say that. No, it's a deceitful desire because it's promising, hey, if you do this, this will really what makes you happy. This will satisfy you. What God says is, it says to put it off. You're being corrupted by those deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds, to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Next Sunday, Bevan's going to wrap up this series. When he does... He's going to talk about the new heart that Jesus gives us when we decide to follow him, and he's going to specifically talk about a compass that we receive on the inside. So instead of just, well, that's the way I am and making an excuse, and instead of just seeing that, there's actually something else we can do in its place. There's a replacement action and attitude and behavior that we can have that actually brings about the change. That's what we're going to dive into next week. I encourage you to come back for that. If you'll join me, we'll wrap up in prayer. Father, I thank you for the clarity of your word on this topic. I thank you for not leaving us in the dark to just kind of make excuses and, well, that's just the way I am. I'm going to have to live with it. Others are going to have to live with it. But God, you shine a light on the real root issue what's behind our behavior so that then we can go to work on it. God, I thank you for the clarity of that. I pray. Father, that as we hear something like this and we explore what your word has to say, I pray that we wouldn't just, you know, say, hmm, that's interesting, but we actually would go through our week asking the question, okay, how am I living this out, and what do I need to change? And then, God, I pray that as we engage in that process, you really would bring the help and the lasting change. We thank you for what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.